Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly Weekly Dose of Wicked. Hey, hey, hey. I'm just kidding. That was weird. Super weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's fine. Whatever. You ready for this? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start off with our thing about our Patreon. So how should we roll into that? All right. I got it. Ready? We're just going to roll. Ready and go. Hello, everyone. I hope that you guys are enjoying this fantastic week and that lovely bonus episode we gave you just two days ago. We love you so much. We gave you two episodes this week. So as a favor to us, you could do this crazy thing, right? You could head on over to our Patreon and you could join our Patreon and get even more bonus episodes. Got three tiers in there. Got our uh, Moderately Wicked for $5 a month. I should have pulled this up before I started this, but it's fine. I'll edit this out. Where's my relationships at? I had it pulled up. Why did they go away? I was literally, there it is. All right. So anyway, you can, you can do us a huge, huge salad. You can head on over to our Patreon where you can support our podcast. That money goes directly into our podcast. It helps us buy better sound equipment, helps us pay for our subscriptions in order to produce our podcast. Um, for those of you that don't know and couldn't tell, we actually do all of it ourselves. We don't have anybody helping us. We don't have any sort of an editing team, any of that. We just do it on our own. I know it's hard to believe because we not sound true. so high. T- What's not true? Not true. We have Craig. Oh, we have Craig. Okay, but Craig's <laughs> meaningless. We don't, Craig is just, you know, we do have Craig. Craig is our robotic bot who records our podcast for us. But other than that, He's our production specialist. He's not a production specialist. I am the <laughs> butthole. Regardless, whatever. Uh, we do it all ourselves. We do all the editing. We do all the research. We are a two-woman band with the help of Craig. So anyway, if you want to come over, we've got three tiers. We've got the Moderately Wicked, $5 a month. Uh, at $5 a month at that level, you're going to get a monthly bonus episode once we hit 50 patrons. You're also going to get a one-time shout-out on an upcoming episode. For $7 a month, you will get same as the previous year, that monthly bonus episode once we hit 50 patrons, uh, a one-time shout-out on our upcoming episodes. And in addition, you'll also get the opportunity to vote for upcoming cases. And then at $10 a month, which is our highest tier, the Extraordinarily Wicked, you'll get all those same perks as the tiers before you. You get that monthly bonus episode once we hit 50 patrons, get the opportunity to vote for upcoming cases. You also get a shout-out on an upcoming episode. And in addition to that, you get access to our Weekly Dose of Wicked Discord, where you can chat with fellow listeners about episodes, and you can also ask us questions, which we will answer at the end of the episodes. And then you also will get a customized thank you note signed by the two of us, as well as a Weekly Dose of Wicked sticker. 
So if that's something that, you know, tickles your pickle, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, you should, you should leave that in there. <laughs> if that's something that tickles your pickle, then you should come on down to Patreon. Join us for some fun. All right, let's jump into our episode then, shall we? We shall. All right, Ashley, today I have a doozy of a case for you. This is the case of Mary Jo Budafuco. Budafuco. Mary Jo Budafuco. That's a fun name. That's how we're going to say it. That's how we're going with the pronunciation on that. I like it. It is a fun name. So in order to to do this episode, I um, watched an episode of Snapped. So we're just going to head right into it. Mary Jo grew up in Long Island. Mary Jo met Joey Budafuco in the summer of 1971 when they were in ninth grade. She remembers thinking that Joey was the funniest guy she had ever met. It was love, the kind of love you only see in movies. Uh, To the outside world, they were the picture-perfect couple. They were destined to be together. After dating for a few years, it was just kind of the next step that they should get married. So as a young couple, Joey was 21 and Mary Jo was 22. Can we just pause? How cute is it that their names are Joey and Mary Jo? Adorable. I think it's super cute. So anyway, Joey was 21, Mary Jo was 22, but they were happy and they were in love. Mary Jo wanted nothing more than to be a good wife and a good mother. She wanted to keep a clean home, cook dinner for her family every night, have children, and be on the PTA. Even though they were young, they did have good heads on their shoulders. So they saved up their money and they bought their first home in Baldwin, New York. In January of 1980... Mary Jo's dreams were finally coming true. I say finally, like, I mean, they weren't that old at that point, but whatever. Wait, what are they, like 22? <laughs> no, they were 22 and they got married. Oh. They met in 1971 and they were in ninth grade. So 1971, they were probably 14. So 1980, we're really bad at math. 14 and nine, they were 23. So yeah, I mean, I guess they'd only been married a year. Oh, that's a 22. Okay. Okay. So whatever. In 1980, Mary Jo's dreams are coming true. She gives birth to their first child, a son. A few years later, Mary Jo and Joey welcome their second child, a daughter. And they were just in bliss. Like, they were just so in love with their small family. They were exactly where they wanted to be. Uh, the problem is that now that they had two kids, that starter home that they had saved up for and bought, it was not cutting it. It was getting too small. They needed to upgrade. So luckily for them, they've been very successful over the past years, and they're actually able to put in an offer on a waterfront home in Massapequa. And in order to afford this new home, they obviously have to sell their old one, right? Well, this is where things take a a weird little turn from this picture-perfect family. So Joey assures Mary Jo that he has a buyer lined up, and everything's going smoothly. Um, Joey... This is like the first... This is the first notable issue in their marriage. Joey comes to Mary Jo... And he's a little distraught. And he admits to her that he doesn't actually have a buyer for the house. He actually gave the house to his drug dealer. What? Yeah. (laughs) So he doesn't actually have anyone to buy the house. He gives it to his drug dealer because he owed his drug dealer a lot of money. And if he didn't give the drug dealer the house or get him the money, the drug dealer was going to kill him. But I'm guessing Mary Jo didn't know he did drugs. I'm going to go with no. Uh, Mary Jo was not happy about this. She was actually quite pissed, (laughs) as she should be. Yes, rightfully so. She said at the time she felt like this was the lowest point of her life. She didn't know how her marriage would recover from this. It was really just all around not a great situation for her to be in. 
Joey's father was also not pleased about this. Uh, but he said that he was not going to let his daughter-in-law and grandchildren live on the street. So he actually ended up paying the $50,000 down payment needed to secure their new home. Oh, what a sweet guy. Yeah, super sweet, right? Uh, Mary Jo, being the saint of a woman that she was, um, decided to stand by her husband. She did end up giving him an ultimatum. She told him that he could either go to rehab or the marriage was over. So, of course, Joey went to rehab. And he actually came out sober. So the next five years after that were smooth sailing. Joey focused on his family and his business. He was sober now. He actually ended up starting an auto repair shop that he was the owner of. Um, the Budafukos were doing really well for themselves. Joey had a 30-foot cigarette boat, and he just loved it. What's that face about? You want to know what a cigarette boat is? Cigarette boat is, yeah. It's really just like a long, skinny boat that looks like, I don't know, I think it just gets its name because like cigarettes are long and skinny. It's just like a long, skinny speedboat. Is it for like the lake or like the ocean? Where do they live? So they're in Long Island. So, I mean, I would assume the ocean. Okay. I mean, but I don't know. I feel like you could probably take a cigarette boat either place. Okay, continue. I guess it's not really that important. I thought it was interesting. I did look up what cigarette boats were, so I could tell you that because I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> I originally had it set as a cigar boat, but that was wrong. Mm, yeah, cigarette sounds better than cigar. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, he spent all summer out in his boat with his family. And all of their friends and family also reaped the benefit because he really loved his boat and he really liked to show it off. So he took everyone out on his boat. This was the happiest time of their life um, as far as the Budafukos go. The children recall how happy they were as a family. They said their parents really strived to give them everything they could ever want. Um, they really just had fun nonstop. Anyway, Mary Jo recalls how happy they were. She said that they had weathered the storm and that they had never been in a better place. The children were getting older and they were out of that hard season of life with small children. So, you know, I'm always a big a big talker on that season of life with small children because I have small children and I'm currently in that season of my life and it is tough. So not only was Mary Jo dealing with the season of life with small children, but her husband was giving their house away to drug dealers. And they were in their early twenties. Right. Right. Which is a hard time in your life anyways. I mean, exactly. But I can feel for her because I had two children by the age of what? 23. Yeah. I was 20 when I had my first child, and then my second child is three years older, so I was 23. And then, I mean, I, I had three of them by 25. Do what? You said he was three years older. He was three years younger. You know what I meant. He was three years younger. Whatever. I had three, I had three children by the age of 25. So I get it. It's a hard season to have small children and to be young. Right. I'm 25, and I have a cat. That's it. <laughs> Well, I'm now 29 and I'm living the life with my three children who are still pretty small, but whatever. I mean, either way, it's a hard time of life and I can totally see how difficult it would have been for her to not only be going through that, but then also have her husband giving their freaking house away to a drug dealer because I would kill him. So she's a saint. <laughs> like, she's a saint of a woman. You sounded a little crazy there. I mean, that's fine. Anyway, Regardless, whatever, they were able to focus on each other and they were able to just rebuild that trust and they were really just doing great. Everything was really falling into place for them. Then comes another storm. I'm sure you had no idea that was coming. No idea. Total shocker. Very surprised. <laughs> oh my God. I had no idea. 
I cannot believe this is happening. Okay, so the day is May 19th, 1992. At this time, Mary Jo's kids are in third grade and fifth grade. And she remembers the day because it was the first day that she allowed the kids to ride their bikes to school with their friends. So this was a big deal. Uh, she was really nervous about it, as any mother would be. But she, you know, let go of the reins. She let them go. Let them ride their bikes to school with their friends. In order to keep herself busy, though, and to keep her mind off of the... They're little babies. Yeah, I mean, it was 1992, though. It doesn't matter. They're still little babies. Third and fifth grade. Yep, she let her little babies ride their bikes to school. But in order to keep her mind off of it, she kept herself busy. She had a task to preoccupy herself. Uh, there was a bench in the backyard, and it really needed to be painted. And it was a beautiful spring day. So she goes out back. She starts paint- painting her bench. And it's a quarter to 12 when the doorbell rings. Mary Jo goes to the front door, and boom. That's it. You said boom. Yeah, boom. That's it. Boom. It was boom. I'm telling you. Retired NYC police officer lives across the street from the Budafukos. He's relaxed on his porch when he hears a gunshot. So it was literally a boom. She opened the door. Boom. It's just funny how you said it. So he immediately darts across the street and he finds Mary Jo lying in the front yard with a gunshot wound to her temple. So right here. Gunshot wound. I know what a temple is. Thank you. I wasn't sure if you were aware with your medical background. I had no idea. This is so shocking. All right. So the neighbor immediately calls 911. And soon the quiet neighborhood street is flooded with paramedics. Um, A medvac helicopter is dispatched to airlift Mary Jo to Nassau County Medical Center. Joey Budafuco is at work at his auto body shop. Uh, A neighbor calls and tells him that he needs to get home right away. So, of course, Joey leaves work, rushes home, just in time to see that medvac helicopter landing in his front yard. And his wife, the love of his life, the apple of his eye. I said that would be a horrible sight because, you know, shit's getting real. I mean, yeah, she got shot in the temple. I mean, I know, but he didn't know that. Okay, but I mean, yeah, but she got shot in the temple. Like, she's a goner, man. Like, shot in the head. I'm surprised. But he didn't know that. He arrived at his house and there was a helicopter there. Like, you know, shit's real if there's a helicopter in your freaking yard. Normally they land in like fields. No, it was just in his yard. Maybe he had a big yard. No, it was Long Island, Ashley. Oh, right. I I keep forgetting where they live. I'm sorry. It's in Long Island. Long Island. I can't believe, I can't imagine they had a big yard. Okay, Okay. Maybe not. So, anyway. He gets there, leaves work, rushes home, gets there just in time to see the helicopter land in his front yard, and his wife, the love of his life, apple of his eye, being loaded into the helicopter. Obviously, he's shaken, completely distraught. Who did this? Why did they do this? Uh, Is his wife going to make it? Is the person that did this still out there? Did they get the person? Like, he has no idea what's going on. So upon arrival at the hospital, Mary Jo's prognosis is grim. Uh, They pretty much give her a 50-50 chance of survival. They tell Joey that if they don't operate, she'll be dead in 12 hours. If they do operate, she might die or she could be paralyzed. Uh, But they really have no idea. They really don't know what's going to happen, but they think the best option is to operate. So, of course, he gives them permission and they operate. (sighs) She comes out of surgery and she's unconscious. So, unfortunately, the only witness to this crime cannot give them any information. So the detectives immediately start working this case as a potential homicide because it's not looking good. It's not looking like she's going to live. It's most likely going to be homicide. Uh, They're just preparing for the worst here. So they obviously start in the neighborhood where it happened. And unfortunately, a lot of the neighbors heard the gunshot, but nobody saw anything. Pretty much everyone in the neighborhood's on edge. What? Why are you throwing your hand up? How did they know? 
see anything. They were all in their houses. Actually, it was the middle of the day. People up north love to hang out. No. Okay, people in the north love to hang out outside. I mean, I don't know that people in the north like to hang out outside. I think our parents like to hang out outside. And all of their northern friends. It doesn't matter. It was the middle of the day. Nobody was expecting somebody to get shot in the temple. So nobody was hanging out outside. I should have been. This is a crazy thing. Like, this doesn't happen. So anyway, pretty much everyone's on edge. Um, because this super nice stay-at-home mom was just shot in the head in broad daylight in her... Poor Mary Jo. I know what her name is. I said poor Mary Jo. (laughs) It didn't didn't come through as poor Mary Jo. It just came through as Mary Jo. No, I said, oh, poor Mary Jo. Yeah. So yeah, this sweet stay-at-home mom was just shot in the head in broad daylight in her front yard, and this maniac is just free-roaming around, and they have no leads. So, obviously, they turn their attention to Joey, because it's always the husband. Always. But Joey was super cooperative, and he had an alibi. He literally was at work. They called him at work. He wasn't home. He wasn't anywhere around when the awful events took place, so it couldn't have been him. So they don't necessarily think that he did it at this point, but they're just wondering if maybe he had an enemy who would kill his wife. You know, like maybe the drug dealer he gave his house to? That's a possibility. Yeah. So I don't really think it's that far of a stretch. I said that next. I don't really think it's that far of a stretch considering just five years ago he gave their house to a drug dealer with a whole bunch of exclamation points. <laughs> uh, but Joey's insistent. He has no idea. I can just see your notes in my head. Yes. 25 yes. exclamation points. Yes, yes. I'm like, he's not, I'm like five years ago he gave their house to a drug dealer. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Like, yeah, no. It's insane, but I, I just can't get past that part of the story. Like, who in their right mind gives their house to their freaking drug dealer? I don't know. Who owes their drug dealer that much money that they have to give them their house? Right! Like, how, what kind of drugs are you doing? And what drug dealer... What kind of drug dealer lets people oh. have that much debt? Right. I feel like drug dealers are smart business people, usually. I don't know, Holmes. I don't know. I don't know. how they make so much money. I can't get past that part, though. Like, I can't get past that. Okay. Besides the point, we've moved on since then. It's been five years we've gotten past that. Joey's insistent that he has no idea who would do this to his wife. And they don't have any leads. So, of course, the rumor mill starts to turn. And the biggest rumor going around is that a member of the Gotti family, uh, they lived in the house before the Botafucos. I'm not sure if you know who the Gotti family is, but if you don't, then you probably need to brush up on your mob knowledge. Do you know who they are? No, but you're going to tell me. I am going to tell you. I was just joking with you. I didn't have any idea who the frick they were either. But I googled them, and essentially they were just a big mom family of gangsters in New York City. So the theory is maybe it was a case of mistaken identity, and somebody was trying to take out a family member of this big-time mob family, the Gotti family, because the Gotti family, a member of their family, lived in the house before the Buttafucos. So That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, but unfortunately that didn't actually pan out. Uh, Because based off of the crime scene, Whoever did shoot Mary Jo in the temple had no idea what the frick they were doing. They didn't know how to properly handle a firearm. And this was definitely not a professional hit. This definitely wasn't the mob or somebody trying to take out the mob because they would have had better aim. And yeah, it was it was not looking like it was a professional hit. So they're back at the drawing board. They have no leads. So now back in the hospital, they performed the surgery on Mary Jo. And they were actually able to repair her carotid artery. Did I say that right, medical professional? Yes, ma'am. I practiced in the mirror. <laughs> oh, did you? I did. Was that a hard word for you? It, it was a hard. It's spelled weird. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. I disagree. Carotid. 
I disagree. So anyway, they were able to repair their carotid artery, but the bullet was too close to the nerves that they ended up having to leave it. Now it's just a waiting game to see if she's going to wake up. It's now been three days since Mary Jo was shot, and Mary Jo wakes up. So she can't talk immediately, but as soon as she wakes up, she starts motioning, and she's looking for, like, a pen and paper. Like, she's motioning with her hand flat and her other hand like she's trying to write. They give her a pen and paper, and she immediately just starts writing. So on this piece of paper, she writes, Anne-Marie, T-shirt, 19 years old, Dolphin Court. That's all she writes. None of us have any idea what the hell any of that means. No. That makes no sense. So Mary Jo, yeah, Mary Jo suffered extensively from the gunshot wound. Um, The entire right side of her face is paralyzed. She can barely speak because of this. Like, it's, you know, I mean, like, you know, like when someone has like a stroke and their whole face goes, you know. Yeah. Like. They can't see what we're doing, but like jelly. We're not using words. We're just just (laughs) touching our faces. But anyway, I mean, that's essentially what happened. The whole right side of her face is paralyzed. She can't do anything with it. So she can't. Facial droop. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yes. A facial droop. She can barely speak because of this. Um, she's also now deaf in her right ear because of where the gunshot was. It was right next to her ear. Over the next few days, Mary Jo does her best to recount what happened to the police. Obviously, she's having a hard time because she barely speaks, but she tells them what she recalls. So according to Mary Jo's account, she remembers hearing the doorbell ring. And at this point, she's painting that bench in the backyard. And so she looks up from the back to the front and she sees that there's a car parked on the road, like right outside her house. So she makes her way up to the front door. And she opens the door, and there's a young girl standing there. She notices that the car that she saw out front has a young man sitting in the driver's seat. And so she looks at the girl, and she says, hey, can I help you? And the girl says, yeah, are you Mrs. Vodafuco? And Mary Jo replies, yeah. The girl said, I need to talk to you about your husband, Joey. So Mary Jo's first thought is, this is a young couple. Maybe they were in an accident. And Joey owns that auto repair shop, so maybe they just need help fixing their car. Uh, But this girl actually told Mary Jo that she wanted her to know her husband was having an affair with her little sister. And Mary Jo is like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Your little sister? How old are you? And the girl replies, well, I'm 19. And Mary Jo's like, who, like, who the hell are you? And like, what are you talking about? So this girl says, my name's Anne-Marie. Don't you think it's disgusting that your 40-year-old husband is having an affair with a 16-year-old? And Mary Jo... Absolutely disgusting. I mean, it is disgusting, but Mary Jo's confused. She's like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't... She's like, I don't even think this is actually happening. Like, you know, what are you talking about? So the girl tells Mary Jo she actually has proof, and she hands Mary Jo over a complete auto body t-shirt, which is the name of Joey's auto repair shop. And she tells Mary Jo that she found the shirt in her little sister's room, and now Mary Jo is even more confused. She's like, I mean, is this little, is this chick for real? So she says to her, you expect me to believe that my husband took his shirt off in your sister's bedroom and then went back to work with no shirt on. Like, you're crazy. Like, this doesn't, this doesn't prove anything. The other thing that's crazy, though, is that these shirts, they're actually new when they just arrived in the shop and they haven't handed them out to anybody yet. So... There's no way that this girl would have just gotten this shirt. It doesn't really make sense. Mary Jo's just really confused. So Mary Jo tells the girl, you know what? I don't know what you want me to do about this. I'm going to go back inside. I'm going to call my husband. I'll let him know you stopped by, but I got to go. I don't have time for this. So as she turns away 
to start to walk. She turns her head to start to walk away. And that's when it happens. The girl shot Mary Jo in the temple and left her for dead on the sidewalk outside of her house in the middle of the day. So Mary Jo says she remembers feeling the shot, but she never saw it coming. What? Well, you like threw your hand up like you were confused by her shooting her and leaving her on the road. I don't see the point of it, but I'm listening. I'm waiting for the point. You're waiting for the point? I mean, I don't see a point in it either, right? doesn't really make sense. No, but I'm sure there is one, right? I mean... You'll get to it. You'll just have to wait and see, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, with Mary Jo having this information, as soon as she woke up, Joe immediately speaks up. He says, you know, like those were brand new shirts. And I only gave one of them out. And they're like, okay, well, who'd you give it to? And Joe was like, well, I gave it to Mr. Fisher's daughter. And they're like, okay, well, who's that? And he says, Amy Fisher. And they're like, okay. So they take Joe out of the hospital room and they ask him about Amy Fisher. And I mean, Joe tells him what he knows. Amy Fisher is the daughter of Elliot and Rose Fisher. She's 17. Uh, She grew up pretty privileged. She was an only child. Her parents doted on her. They gave her pretty much whatever she wanted. Everyone that was interviewed about Amy said that she didn't even know what the word no was. So for her 16th birthday, her parents bought her a car. It was actually a brand new car, but it ended up needing some work done on it. So her dad told her to take it on down to Joey's auto shop to get it fixed. And Joey recalled that Amy would come into the shop in short shorts and revealing tank tops and that she really liked the attention she got from all the shop guys. But they didn't really think anything of it. They just thought it was harmless. They thought it was a 17-year-old girl wanting attention. Joe thinks that Amy must have an unprovoked, unhealthy obsession with him. And she must be mentally unstable and just wanted to take out his wife. Because that's always the rationale there. Yeah, I mean, because it makes perfect sense, right? She's just so attracted. At 17 years old, she just finds this 40-year-old man so attractive. Women are just crazy. Yeah, women are just crazy. Women are crazy, and that's... We just do crazy things for no reason. That's the solution to everything. We just find men that we love, and we just love them so much, we shoot their wives, even though they give us no reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's the story, though. That's what Joe says. Like, she must be crazy. Like, she must just have be unhealthy and be mentally unstable. And so she wanted to take my wife out. She took it out of my wife. Anyway, whatever. The police get a picture of Amy. They show it to Mary Jo, and she's like, yeah, that's her. That's Anne Marie. That's the chick that shot me. So <laughs> I have this one. This was like a quote from Mary so, or from Mary Jo. So Mary Jo said <laughs> she remembered like they showed her the picture and she's freaking mad. Like she's like, yeah, I'm freaking mad. This kid shot me in the freaking head. Who even is this kid? Like she sees her picture and it just fills her with rage because she's like, yeah, I know this girl. She shot me in the freaking head. For no reason. Yeah, for no reason. I mean, Mary Mary Joe has no reason why. So whatever. Joey's freaking appalled. He cannot believe that this whack job would come to his house and shoot his wife. Unprovoked for no reason. Like he just can't fathom that this girl would come shoot his wife. So the police come up with a plan. They use Joey as bait. They have him page Amy Fisher because they were paging at this time. It was still something they did. So he pages her, and she, of course jumps in her car and leaves, like immediately, comes running to his beck and call. So the police pull her over and they arrest her. But she's obsessed with them. Right, she's obsessed with them. Unhealthily obsessed with them. So they arrest her and they start to question her and she says that she didn't go to the house to hurt Mary Jo. She wanted to talk to her, but when Mary Jo was dismissive of her and didn't listen to her or believe her, it made her mad. And so... She didn't mean to shoot her. She was trying to, like, kind of pistol whip her, like, hit her with the gun. It's a big dream of mine. I've always wanted to pistol whip someone, but as you know. (laughs) 
I know, you're weird. I know, but anyway, she. But didn't she tell Mary Jo that it was her sister? He was having an affair with her sister, mm-hmm. not herself. So clearly, she didn't just want to talk. No, I think that she. Well, I don't know if it wasn't that she just wanted to talk. So she had said he's having an affair with my 16 year old sister. And now, based off of this story of the car, if they're actually having an affair, then it started when she was 16 years old. So I think maybe she was trying to protect her identity by telling her it was her sister. But I don't know. I mean, she brought a gun. So either way, I don't think she just wanted to talk. Regardless, it doesn't matter. She wasn't there to hurt her. She got mad because she dismissed her. So she hit her with the gun. And when she hit her, the gun went off. So obviously this scared Amy. And so she fled. But it was a complete accident. She didn't mean to do it. The issue with this is that the scans from the hospital do not cooperate that story. Uh, The gunshot went in. Let me guess. It didn't hit her. Well, it's not necessarily signs that it didn't hit her, but the issue is, is that at, if she had hit her and it went off, the bullet would have went in on an angle. And this bullet went straight into her temple. Like, there's no way, there's no sign showing that she had hit her and it went in accidentally. Because if it had been accidentally, it would have been more of a ricochet shot. Like, it would have been, like, this went straight in. So this this shows that she just pointed the gun and shot. Right. Pretty much it's just not going to match what Amy's saying. So... Next thing Amy tells the investigators is that she's been having an affair with Joey Budfuko for over a year and that he actually helped her obtain the gun. It's not clear how he helped her. It's not like if he actually got the gun for her or if he just told her where to go to get it. But, I mean, it's a tale as old as time. Amy is under the impression that Joey doesn't like his wife and that if she wasn't around, the two of them could be together. So what does she do? She takes matters into her own hands. Every mistress dream. Yeah, so at this point, they charge Amy Fisher with attempted murder. Not attempted murderer, attempted murder. (laughs) Uh, And the media goes freaking nuts. So the headlines start painting this narrative, um, and they label Amy Fisher the Long Island Lolita. So the meaning of Lolita is a precociously seductive girl. So essentially they're saying that this little this little hooker is stealing husbands and you know killing wives. So anyway, it's a huge deal though. Husbands and wives, just one. Okay, but she's a Lolita, so there could be others. You don't know, Ashley. It's a big deal, okay? At this point, oh, okay. at this point, it becomes a frenzy. Like the nation is obsessed with this case of fatal attraction. Almost immediately after Amy's arrest, her family obtained a high-profile defense attorney by the name of Eric Nyberg. Uh, He immediately goes to the media and he flips the narrative. He tells the story of an innocent 17-year-old girl who's being taken advantage of by a 40-year-old married father of two. Which makes more sense. Right. Because, I mean, let's just be honest here. Amy's closer in age to his children than she is to him. I mean, his kids are in third and fifth grade, which means probably 10 and 12, maybe 9 and 11. Either way, she's closer in age to them than she is to this 40-year-old man who's 23 years older than her. Right, but she's the Lolita. Yeah, she's the Lolita. He has no fault in this. Because he didn't do anything, Ashley. He didn't have an affair with her. She's a crazy woman who just wanted to steal him away. Oh, I forgot. Right, I mean, anyway, whatever. Eric Nyberg tells the media that Joey wanted to marry Joe dead. And that he manipulated this young girl to make sure that it happened. But Joey's not freaking having this. So he goes to the media and he tells them how disgusting this story is. He denies it all. 
He's sticking with his original story. This chick is crazy. She's obsessed with him, and he's never freaking touched her. So Mary Jo sticks by her husband, and she really can't believe that Joey would lie about this. Like, he's got no reason to lie about this, so she's sticking with him. The issue is, is that... I actually missed something. Oh, she... Okay, so Mary Jo, she's sticking with her husband, but she gets it. Like, she knows you always blame the husband. That's just how it is. But she also knows that her husband would... It, no way in hell would he be banging a 17-year-old. Like, Joey's, you know, he's not a saint, but, like, he's not banging teenagers, you know. So, whatever. The issue is, is that once all of this... He tricked her once by being into drugs. I mean, 100%, but, you know, what do I know? What do you and I know about this, Ashley? Nothing. Nothing. The problem is, is that now that all this information is coming out about Amy, they start getting a lot of tips about her. It turns out that Amy's got a lot of issues in school. She doesn't really have any friends. Um, she's not really liked by her peers. And then a customer of Amy's comes forward. And he says that Amy is actually a call girl. So she's actually a 17-year-old prostitute. And unfortunately for Amy, that's sad. Unfortunately for Amy, he has video to prove it. So this is true. Like he's got a video of her prostituting herself. So the problem is, is that now everyone knows that this isn't a sweet little girl who's been led astray by Joey. The issue with this is now that Amy's past starts coming out, the tabloid reporters start digging into Joey's past. And all that drug stuff comes out. Sure, it's worse. Yeah, all that drug stuff comes out. I mean, not not really. I mean, all it really focused on was the drug issues. But I mean, that's still a big deal. Because now they're reporting, I mean, it, it's tabloids. So like, they're reporting Joey as like this big wig cocaine dealer. Right. You know, like they, they're painting him in a whole new light. So as if this wasn't already all over the news... Now it's just going to, it goes crazy. The reporters will not stop. Like, they are all up in the Buttafuoco's business. They are constantly trying to get interviews with them. Like, they, it's a freaking nightmare. Um, one person even said that prior to O.J. Simpson, this was the biggest case of all time as far as news coverage. That's crazy. Yeah, so this happened before O.J. Simpson. And it said, you know, like, this was the biggest case of all time pre-O.J. Simpson. Um, Amy's friends start coming forward. To me, I thought this was really weird because, you know, just a, a little bit ago, we said she didn't have any friends, but now apparently she has friends and they're coming forward. Of course. said, so of course she does because they can get attention. Well, whatever. Amy's friends start coming forward and they're claiming that Amy was obsessed with Joey. And also multiple teenage boys came forward and said that Amy offered them sexual favors if they would shoot Mary Jo. So the issue is now it's premeditated. Because she's asked multiple people to do it for her. So now it's a plan. Like, she's planned it. It wasn't an accident. She was trying to shoot Mary Jo and kill her. So on June 12th, 1992, almost a month after Mary Jo was shot, a young man comes forward. His name is Peter... Ah, I'm going to butcher this last name. Guagenti? Peter Guagenti? Guagenti? I don't know how you say it. Sounds good. I don't know. I'm sorry, Peter. Um, but anyway, he claimed that he helped Amy get her hands on the gun. And he also was that young man that was driving the car that day. And he did it in exchange for sexual favors from Amy. So he actually ends up leading the police to the gun. He told them that it was thrown down a sewer. And sure enough, they go and they find the gun almost immediately. Why would you yawn like that? I'm sorry. So you yawned right in the middle of me speaking. I, I, you can't stop a yawn once it starts. You're annoying. So Peter ends up pleading guilty to gun charges and he ends up getting six months in jail. Meanwhile, Amy is still being held on a $2 million bail. 
which at this time was the record high for a 17-year-old. Yeah. Well, at this time, it was a record high for Nassau County. So in order to get Amy out of jail, her attorney, Eric Nyberg, comes up with a master plan. So he goes to the press and he makes a national announcement that Amy is being held on a $2 million bail. And he is willing to sell the rights to her story in exchange for posting her bail. That's when Hollywood goes crazy. Production company, companies start flooding in and they want this story. So they're actually able to get Amy out of jail after being in for two months. So a Hollywood production company paid her bail to get her out in exchange for the rights to her story so they can make a movie about her, which they actually did. Pretty smart. 1993, I think they made a movie about her. But yeah. Um, Drew Barrymore played her. What's the movie? Uh, I think it's called a- the Amy Fisher Story or something. I looked it up, but Drew Barrymore plays. I thought it had like a fun name. Uh, no, but I saw another one that was called like the Long Island Lolita. But Drew Barrymore. So the one in 1993 was Drew Barrymore played Amy Fisher and it was called like the Amy Fisher Story. Okay, so where'd we leave off? All right, now that Amy's out, Eric Nyberg, her attorney, starts talking strategy with her. Uh, and he's like, listen, girl, like this can't go to trial. We got to plea this down. Like if this goes to trial, you're in for a shit of mess. So we got to we got to plea this. In September of 1992, Mary Jo is informed that Amy Fisher is pleading guilty to the reduced charge of reckless assault. This devastates Mary Jo. Uh, she said in an interview, the bullet couldn't kill me, but the judiciary system might. So what happens next is just another blow for Mary Jo. The district attorney ends up calling her and he wants to talk to her. So she comes in and he wants to let her know that they're heavily investigating Joey Budafuco on his of involvement with Amy Fisher. So part of Amy's plea deal was that it specified that she had had sexual relations with Joey Budafuco. And because of Amy's age, they're investigating Joey on the charges of statutory rape. So this enrages Mary Jo. Like, she freaking loses it. She goes to the press, and she just, like, lets them have it. She says, you know, she cannot believe that the district attorney is going to listen to this girl who attempted to kill her. Like, she's a liar. She's a prostitute. And it's literally just her word against Joey's. They don't have any proof, and they're seriously going to take her word. So on September 23rd of 1992, Amy Fisher officially pleads guilty in court. Uh, The judge accepts Amy's guilty plea, and he orders her to report back on December 1st for sentencing. I thought that was really weird. I was unaware that they did that. Like, she was like, I plead guilty. And he was like, okay, come back in a month and a half, and I'll give you a sentence. They don't just give it that day. Um, I thought they stayed in jail. Right. Like, once they pled guilty or were sentenced guilty or whatever. I thought they went to jail until they were sentenced. No, I mean, I guess she's out on bail, but, like, I just assumed, like, you plead guilty and then, like, they... Yeah, but still. I just assumed they gave you the sentencing that day. I don't think that's normal. Okay, but why? Like, are you not prepared to sentence? Like, I don't know. I feel like, as a judge, you should always be prepared. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I just thought that was weird. September 23rd, she pleads guilty. Judge accepts it. Tells her to come back on December 1st. Whatever, so she's free to run around for a month and a half. So, (laughs) during Amy's admission of guilt, though, she stuck with that same story. Like, she told the judge it was an accident. She just got mad at Mary Jo for dismissing her. She didn't mean to shoot her. She hit her with the gun and it went off. 
everything seems to be going smoothly. And Amy is really hoping she's going to get a lenient sentence. And it's seeming like it's going to go that way. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem that's going to be the case. Because Amy decided that um, it would be a good idea to go visit her ex-boyfriend. So she goes and visits her ex-boyfriend. And then all of a sudden, this uh, video shows up on this show called Hard Copy. And in this video, it's Amy and her ex-boyfriend. And so essentially what happened is Amy snuck out to go see this guy. He recorded her. And in the video, she's like, yeah, I mean, it's really no big deal. Like, I'm going to go to jail for a few years maybe, and then I'm going to come out. But it's really no big deal. Like, I'm going to be famous. Uh, I'm going to have a ton of money from this. I might even get a Ferrari out of this deal. She's showing no remorse whatsoever. I mean, she's literally bragging that she's going to be... just not like that. No. She's bragging that she's going to be famous because she shot a stay-at-home mother in the head in the middle of the day. I mean, no. It's not, it's not going to go over well for her. So what ended up happening is that the former boyfriend recorded her secretly and he didn't take... Like, he didn't waste any time. He sold that video to the press for $10,000. Now, this betrayal devastated Amy. So she ended up attempting to commit suicide. She survived, but she did end up being admitted to a psychiatric hospital on a locked floor where she spent a month. So after her release from the psychiatric hospital, the judge sentenced Amy to a maximum of 15 years with a minimum of five years. So she's going to be in prison for anywhere from five to 15 years. Then she's going to get a Ferrari, so it's going to be fine. I don't know, though, because now she's really messed herself up. So now that the videos come out, though, it shows that Amy's cold and she's calculating. And so they end up dropping those charges against Joey. The DA doesn't want to hold Amy up like in this light. Knowing that she's not that sweet innocent girl they thought she was like, it's not someone that they want to make, you know, a, a poster of their cause. So they drop the charges. So all is right in the world. Everything goes back to, you know, everything's good. Amy's behind bars. Right. And Mary Jo and Joey are free to live their lives. The problem is, is that Joey really likes the attention he got during all of this. So Joey and his attorney decide it's a good idea to go on like a sort of I told you so tour where they just go around and like tell everybody like in the media, like I told you I was innocent and they dropped the charges. But the problem is, is that uh, Mary Jo thought they were idiots, but Joey thought it was a great idea. So this really pissed the cops off. They didn't like that Joey. Um, at first, they didn't like Joey anyway. They thought he was a punk. And they certainly didn't want him running around, like telling everybody he was right and they were wrong. Uh, and it also pissed off former employees from Complete Auto Body. And so they started coming forward saying that Joey told them he was having sex with Amy Fisher. And that he would brag about it. So obviously, now that Joey's blown all of that up because he couldn't just be chill and, you know, take the win. Instead, he had to try and go make a fool out of everybody. Um, they end up reopening the case against Joey Botafuco. Uh, The issue is, is that this time there's actually solid evidence against him. And it's given to them by Amy Fisher's defense attorney, Eric Nyberg. It didn't specify exactly what the evidence was, but in an interview, uh, Eric Nyberg said, 
eh, I mean, the evidence was overwhelming. And he just had like this malicious, devilish grin on his face. So whatever it was, it was good. And he was quite pleased with himself. So almost a year. <laughs> it was it was actually cute. He's super old now. Like he's super, he's, a, you know, a little old man. But he had like a very malicious, like, ah, I mean, evidence was overwhelming. Like he was very, he was very happy with himself. It's because old men are adorable. Yeah, he was very pleased with himself, so. I love me some old men. I know you do, you weirdo. <laughs> Especially little old men in suspenders. They're my type. Okay, does your husband know that? Yes, he's well aware. When he's old, he's going to wear suspenders. I don't believe that, but okay. I've already decided. Okay. All right, so almost a year after Amy went to jail on October 14th, 1919. 19- what? Can you pause, please? My cat is chewing up something. Okay, go. I can hear him. What are you doing? Sorry, I'm back. Fine. He was chewing up the lid to his cat food. Yeah. The silicone, like, reusable lid. Uh-huh. It's his last one because he's chewed them all up. Yeah? Because he has a weird obsession with silicone. Okay, where did I leave off? Okay, so almost a year... No, I'm sorry. It's okay. I interrupted you. It's okay. Almost a year after Amy went to jail on October 14th, 1993, Joey is indicted on 19 counts of statutory rape. But Mary Jo... 19? Yeah, 19. I guess they could prove that he had sex with her 19 times. Okay, so not 19 different people, just her. No, just with Amy Fisher. I mean, essentially with statutory rape, I mean, you get charged every time you do it, so... Uh, but... I don't know how that works. I mean, I don't know either, but I'm just, I, I'm assuming that because he got charged 19 times with Amy Fisher. So Mary Jo's still in his corner, though. Okay. Each of those 19 charges are six months to a year. And Mary Jo's pissed. Like, Joey's facing a possibility of 19 years in prison for having sex with this girl. And Amy's doing five years for attempting to kill Mary Jo. Like, she's mad. And I don't blame her. I mean, that's kind of BS. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with statutory rape before we get, like, somebody up in here saying that, you know, I'm a piece of trash. I'm saying it's kind of crazy that, like, he's going to get 19 years, but Amy Fisher got five. And she shot Mary Jo in the head. The devil's advocate, she was also a child. She was 17. Um, I agree she was a child, but she clearly wasn't that much of a child as she was around talking about how she's going to get a freaking Ferrari and... How wealthy she was going to be. And she was also... She was a stupid child. She was also prostituting. I mean, I feel like at that point, you're making adult decisions. You deserve adult consequences. I think it'd go either way. You know my feelings on that. I actually later on talk about how she's only a child, but it doesn't matter. Whatever. Mary Jo really just feels like everyone's against them. And it's just her and Joey against the world. Regardless, there's substantial evidence against Joey against Joey that this affair happened. Uh, they're able to... So I guess the evidence they got from Amy Fisher is she was actually able to give them dates and locations. And so they were able to go to like local hotels and get signed copies of receipts from Joey where he had signed him and Amy into this hotel. So like there was solid evidence that they had, you know coitus taking place if you're gonna do stupid things at least hide it better use fake names yeah no he didn't he didn't do a very good job hiding it at all and amy was able to tell him like the dates and locations of all of them so like clearly it was true and joey had been lying and he had in fact been having a relationship with a 17 year old girl 
So on October 21st, 1993, Joey Buttafuoco pleads guilty to one count of statutory rape against Amy. So I think it's safe to say he received some sort of a plea deal. Uh, he was sentenced to six months in prison. But even then, Mary Jo doesn't believe that Joe did this. She thinks that he just pled guilty because it was the best option. So she stands by him while he serves four months and nine days of his six-month prison sentence. When he's released, Mary Jo throws him a big party to celebrate his release. And with all of this behind them, the Budafucos decide that it's time for a fresh start. So they pack up and they move to California. Unfortunately, it's not over, though. So at the mark of five years, Amy Fisher is set for her five-year parole hearing. And the New York Board of Parole notifies Mary Jo that there will be a hearing for a possible parole for Amy Fisher. Mary Jo is pissed. She does not want this to happen. So she goes to the board, to the parole board meeting, and she fights them. And she's like, no, do not let her out. Like, she is a calculated lunatic. She shot me in the head. You know, she tells them, like, do not let her out. So they actually end up denying Amy's application for parole. So she stays in prison. But after this, Amy Fisher ends up getting a new defense lawyer. And this lawyer reaches out to Mary Jo and asks if Mary Jo would be willing to meet with Amy Fisher's mom, Rose Fisher. So surprisingly, Mary Jo agrees. She says she'll meet with her. Rose pleads with Mary Jo. She tells her about Amy's troubled past, and she really just begs Mary Jo to help her get her daughter out of jail. Which to me is awfully freaking ballsy. Yeah. But, I mean, you do anything for your kids, wouldn't you? To go to, I mean, like, I don't know. My kids have never shot anyone. I don't know. I suppose that's true. I don't know. the li- Not the littlest one. I was trying to describe him. The boy. He threatens to shoot us all the time with his mm-hmm. BB gun. He does threaten to shoot us with his BB gun, but I like to think that he won't actually do it. I don't know. And you bought him the BB gun, so it's your own fault. Because yeah, I'm the coolest man around. Yeah, okay. Okay, so at this point, though, Mary Jo, she's kind of come to terms with the fact that Joe had this affair. Like, she at this, she now believes that Joe did this. Um, she also decides that it's time for her to move on. And in order for her to move on, she's got to begin to forgive Amy Fisher. So Mary Jo was really moved by her mother, and she started to look at it from a mother's perspective. I mean, you know, she's got two kids and she really starts to have empathy for Amy. She says that she was really just a sad, troubled woman. And this is where I've got like this little note, like Mary Jo always refers to her as like a woman, a woman, a woman, but like she was 17 years old. She was a kid. Like she wasn't a woman. She was a kid. And regardless of what she was doing, prostituting herself out, like Joey took advantage of her. She was a child. And a 40-year-old man had no business touching her. Right. Agreed. It doesn't matter if she's a prostitute or not. She's a kid. Right. So, I mean, it goes back It goes back to, like, Mary Jo's upset about the five-year sentence, which I totally... I get being upset that this girl went to jail for five years for shooting her. I get that. I don't know. She was a 17-year-old girl. But Mary Jo always refers to her as a woman. And when I was, like, as I was watching, I was like, you know, she wasn't a woman, though. She was a girl. Like, she was a, she was a 17-year-old. Was a kid. Like, I wasn't a woman at 17. I was a child. I didn't know what I was doing. Still a child. <sighs> okay, well, anyway, Mary Jo pretty much comes to terms. She's like, you know what? Either way, Amy's going to get out. 
she can get out in 15 years or I can help her get out now. But like either way, she's going to be out. So the time comes for Amy's next parole hearing in May of 1997. And Mary Jo ends up speaking at this parole hearing and she actually requested they release Amy. The board votes two to one for Amy's release. And Amy is finally released in 1999. So she spent seven years in prison. What a turnaround. Good job, Mary Jo. Yeah. And this was largely thanks. I mean, this was largely thanks to Mary Jo. The issue is, is that Amy attempted to jump back into society. But even though Mary Jo was willing to forgive her, the rest of the world was not. So she couldn't get a job. She was really completely ostracized. Like nobody wanted anything to do with her. So she had to go back to what she knew best, which was selling her body. She began doing webcam pornography. She also like wrote a book. And I mean, that's really all she could do. I don't know. She pretty much just made a life of selling herself. That's good. Um, Joey also capitalized on this. Yeah, Joey also capitalized on this tragedy. He began acting, and according to IMBD, he is credited in nine films. He's also credited as credited as himself 16 times, and he's credited in archive footage five times. He really liked that spotlight, which to me is also kind of crazy. Like, they let him act in films after he was charged with statutory rape, which means he had sexual relations with a child. I mean... Right, were there children in these films? Right. I mean, I know she was 17, but, like, still, like... Okay, whatever. So anyway, finally in 2000, Mary Jo ended up splitting up with Joey. Her daughter said that she thinks that she stayed with him as long as she did for the kids, but she did finally end up leaving him in 2000. In the years since, Mary Jo seems to be living her best life. I mean, she looks happy. She is like, I don't know, like she gives off like this radiance. Like she gives off like she, I don't know, she like glows. She's, you know, all of all of a Long Islander. Like she's got that whole Long Island badass thing going for her. But you can just tell that like she's doing her best to be happy. She did end up remarrying in 2012 to a man named Stu Tendler, but unfortunately he passed away in 2018. So it's been 30 years now. And while Mary Jo has done her best to move on, unfortunately she's still stuck with a constant reminder of that horrible day in the form of the bullet that is still lodged in her temple. Mary Jo. That's the end. What did I call her? Oh my gosh, I said poor Mary Jo. <laughs> I don't know why you can't it doesn't say poor. Say that. Because it doesn't say that. It just you just keep saying Mary Jo. Like I said the wrong name. <laughs> no. Poor Mary Jo. It is. It's sad, right? Well, what do you think? How was that for you? <laughs> it's good. Well, you were concerned that it was going to be like too scary for you because you were alone. I'm home alone and I don't like to be home alone. I know you don't like to be home alone. Especially talking about murder at 10 o'clock at night. Right before I go to bed. Gives <laughs> me bad dreams. Murder. <laughs> murder. You know what my dream was last what? night? I had a dream that people started writing reviews for our podcast. Yeah. And they were all bad. That would be really sad. Yeah, it was really sad. They were like, you two are super annoying. That's probably true. We hate you. That's probably true, too. <laughs> I mean, probably. Okay, but here's my thing. Here's my thing. If you're still listening and you wouldn't mind, if you could just jump on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review, that'd be super cool. Um, if you didn't like it, then just, it's okay. You can just stop listening, but you don't have to give us a bad review. <laughs> It'll hurt our feelings. It did hurt my feelings in my dream. Like, they're all like, <laughs> you two are super fucking annoying. Your voices are annoying. Again, that's true. You're bad at telling stories. <laughs> it was it was really sad. I've been having way too many dreams about the podcast. I haven't had any. Okay, well, remember last week I had that dream that dad was like, what are you doing? And I was like, we're doing our podcast. And he's like, no, the girls were murdered down the street. You've got to go solve the case. You're detectives. <laughs> I mean, we're basically detectives. No, I mean, not according to dad. And I was like, no, dad, I actually I already did my research and I've got to do the podcast. And he's like, you've got to solve the murder. <laughs> okay, calm down, Alan. 
I could see him freaking out like that in real life, though. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all I got. So now we're from our sponsors. Us. We're our sponsors. Us. Check us out. Go listen to us. We're our sponsors. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked where you can join one of our three tiers at the $5 level. We've got the moderately wicked for $7 a month. We've got the awesomely wicked. And for all of those high rollers, big ballers out there, we got the $10 level, the extraordinarily wicked as a member of our Patreon, you are entitled to bonus episodes. Uh, you also get a one-time shout-out on our podcast, as well as some other cool little extra things going on there. So come on over. Join our fan club. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked, or you can literally just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones. For a direct feed of our podcast, please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com Great news! You can now listen to us pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts. That's right, folks. We are big time. You can now hear your Weekly Dose of Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Overcast, Castro, CastBox, and PodFriend. The only place we can't seem to get ourselves on is Pandora. So we'll let you know when that happens. In the meantime, make sure to come back next Wednesday for your Weekly Weekly Dose dose of of Wicked. Wicked. But um, I'm...